Welcome to Avowedcast, the fan community podcast for Obsidian Entertainment's future RPG game titled Avowed. This is a podcast for fans by fans, and we are not affiliated with Obsidian, but we'd happily bake them some brownies for lunch, a special batch maybe. Um, My name is Sora, and I'm your host each month as we get together with fans from around the globe to discuss everything related to the Avowed game, uh, the World of Aora, Pillars of Eternity games, and gaming in general. Uh, this week's topic, we're really focusing on choice and consequence in RPGs. And specifically, we're going to take a look at how Obsidian Entertainment has handled choice and consequence in their uh, narrative games and gameplay um, and kind of examine those previous games and speculate on what we might see in the coming game Avowed. Thought you Glonfathans was all fanatical and shit. I am fanatical. I'm just suppressing it so I don't have to kill all my friends. So it don't chafe you none that our mutual friend here has been prancing through your sacred ruins? No, it does. It really does. I'm gonna kill him any time now. Welcome to Aboutcast. We have quite a group here with us today. Uh, my name is Sora, and um, we're going to kind of go through, introduce ourselves, and tell everybody what we've been up to. So let's jump into it. Uh, Gingerino, uh, other than fighting bears, what are you doing? <laughs> um, well, by a happy coincidence, I'm able to take a break from jumping around the mountaintops and uh, join uh, my fellow staff at the office space, where they have uh, cellular Wi-Fi, essentially. Um, what I've been up to, I've been, obviously, I've been helping train some uh, outdoor skills to people, but in terms of gaming, I did bring my Switch with me, so I, I have still been Boys, gaming. man. <laughs> yeah. Um, what have I been playing? I've mostly been replaying Skyrim, because I can just plink away at that whenever I get a little time. And that's something about that game. It's that it's so easy to just jump into and jump out of. There's no, like feeling of i don't know the guilt is the word but you know what i mean commitment you can just jump right. into a couple of things and jump out i love that yeah it's super accessible i realize i've never played a full mage run of that game so that's kind of what i'm going for right now it's just 100 percent magic only good choice um jed what have you been doing uh well besides being sick a lot <laughs> um i've been well, uh, sucks. yeah just you know aging stuff it's fine um i say that i'm 29 it's not what anyway <laughs> Come on, okay man. you know I'm, I'm older than i was okay whatever anyway um <laughs> okay boomer i know i, I feel okay, boomer. you're only oh, yeah. you're only as old Give as you feel you're only that as old as you feel and i feel like i'm like 75 so um <laughs> but besides uh you know becoming a decrepit old mummy man uh, I've been playing a lot of Guild Wars 2. Actually, I got I've got some friends into that. Um and uh it's a really good game. I mean, it's it's sort of the prototype I think of of sort of the the evolution of MMOs after World of Warcraft. Um it's a lot less kind of stodgy and and uh slow-paced and it's a lot more sort of freeform in its combat and That's way more like it. Yeah. Wait, well, you like the stodgy slow pace stuff? Yes. Well, then do I have a Project Gorgon for you? Oh, no. <laughs> um, I, I played that already. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, very long Gorgon. I, I like Project Gorgon personally, but any, anyway, um, besides that, I've been, I actually just picked up Cyberpunk uh, yesterday. 
and I gotta say, I kind of like it. Isn't it good? Yeah, it's right. pretty good. Oh, well, at least just... <laughs> at least the first few hours what I've played so far, it's kind of grabbing me. Opinion. Okay, it's it gets better. Wait until your car like just like po- flies into the air for no reason. That's hella. Oh no, that already happened. Um, oh, isn't it the best? I called. Oh. I called my car to wow. me like an hour ago, and it just like showed up, drove out of some random parking lot, got stuck on the gate, and like flung itself fifty feet into the air and exploded. Um, oh, yeah, it must be. I must be hell of an experience. But yeah. uh, wait for the ending when you get to the point where I my guess, and this is the only thing that can explain it for me, is that the, everybody at the studio was smoking weed <laughs> in an accessible amount and then said, hey, what if we end it this way? Uh, wait, I just can't wait to get your response. I'm not going to tell you. But <laughs> I, uh, this game has an ending? The narrative, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I'll, I'm just... I know which ending Sora probably picked, considering how the way it makes him feel. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's me. Cool. Uh, Kiwi, what have you been doing? Well, the Burning Crusade Classic launched a few days ago, so I've been leveling my character there, and now I'm doing some uh, reputation grinding. Oh, hey, and what, nice. are, what are your choices there, uh, class and... Uh, oh, I'm continuing my restoration druid. Oh, okay. Uh, this specialization gets a huge boost in DBC. Yes. Very nice. Very right, because nice. it was super underpowered in vanilla. Yeah, yeah. It was a meme class. Yeah. Uh, Lazar, what have you been doing? Oh, uh, I've been playing the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Ooh, jealous. And... <laughs> You know, uh, I understand. I understand if you say you wanna wait for a sale because, you know, if if you're on PC or Xbox, it's probably better to do. But you know, in in on PlayStation, I'm on PlayStation. On PlayStation, you don't know, have like there's no backwards compat. Uh, like it's it's not backwards compatible, so uh, there's no other way of you playing the original trilogy than to buy the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Oh man, really? So yeah. yeah. So I uh so I bought it because I've been looking at my you know uh, like I think that five or or six years ago I bought this this big case of the of the like the trilogy on PC and I've been looking at it for like years now not being able to play it because I I've I haven't had a PC gaming PC for a while, so I've been waiting for this moment. And I was I spent uh seventy euros on it willingly. And I don't I don't regret one penny or cent of it. Because, you know, just for the experience, you know, it's another question if it really is worth it. Like, you know, because the difference between like the original trilogy and the legendary edition is just mainly aesthetics right. like you know gameplay gameplay wise it's not, it's not, there are no big you know salvational moments where you know especially you know the the combat system of the first game was you know really atrocious and like the the only the only substantial improvement they made was the gu- gunplay and the guns. 
And that's only like a tiny part of the game, right? Like, there's like barely any guns in those games. <laughs> exactly, <Wow>. exactly. <laughs> but depends on how you play. So, I mean, if you're biotic. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. That's, so, fair. that's fair. But but you know, there, like there are a lot of other stuff, like in you know, abilities. You know, the cover system is still like uh, fucking. You know, I wouldn't say it's the worst, but you know, I, I didn't, I didn't really see any big improvements there. And you know, moving around is just janky as hell. Using abilities is just janky as hell. And uh, yeah, so if you ever decide to play the Legendary Edition, then I would advise you to do a soldier playthrough because that's where you're gonna uh, utilize the improvements the most. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I don't think I've ever actually done that in a Mass Effect game. Just Me neither. Been man with gun. I heard they also uh, elevated the camera from above butt height to now you can see people's faces. Oh yeah, yeah right. Yeah, whatever. I didn't know something like that. There's a whole bunch of those things. Oh, and femship. She crosses her legs now or something. I don't remember. Oh, sure. Wow. <laughs> it's been so long since I've even yeah. touched one of those games. I mean, it feels like forever ago. But I do want to try it. I do want to get back. You know, give it a chance when it's. Ten dollars, not when it's sixty bucks, but right. I'll do it then. Parenthesis, what have you been doing? I've been playing. I've been finishing off uh, Cyberpunk uh, twenty seventy seven. Oh. So, do you like oh. it? It it's okay. It has some. I think high moments. <laughs> no, not, not into the totality. Some parts are good, but straight to the point, huh? It it, it well, but it's it's sort of yeah. It's yeah. it's wasted potential. It's. I think. I think the best way to to to, to articulate my feelings is that the highs are highs, but they are mostly. Mm -hmm. But the feeling is mostly lows. But then I went and played the final DLC for uh, Outer Worlds, which is murder on uh, Eridonos, which has a, has a passable uh, murder mystery. I won't. Don't worry. But uh, the the interesting thing here is the the compare and contrast, especially towards environments and uh, their approach to conversation, because environments, cyberpunk wins yeah. hands down. The, the city feels alive, um, at, where the setting for the outer worlds feels barren. There aren't, there aren't people milling about where people should be milling about. But on the other hand, going in and talking to a person and getting, even getting that you know, locked uh, conversation view, and then talking to people in exhaustive detail is just like, Ah oh, yes, I was missing this. I was missing this this personal contact with people where I could pump them for information. When Cyberpunk was all like, "Hey, hi, whatever, <laughs> next bit," yeah, and that's just. I mean, it, people are still in, in this semi silly mode, and it's not you know you get into people's uh, big emotional. The you don't get that deep to them, but you can talk to them with more than two or three options. Amazing technology they have nowadays for this. Yeah, I totally. Well, I don't even want to go there, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know how I feel about that game. So, um, <laughs> Toro loves been, Cyberpunk. Let it be yeah, known. Yeah, I, I've been playing Man Eater because summer's coming and it came out on Game Pass. Um, so I'd never played Man Eater. That's the shark game where you go around and and eat people basically. Um, well, a lot it of fun. Sounds fun. 
It is. It's a lot of fun. It's, I mean, I didn't pay, I mean, I am paying for it through Game Pass, but you know, it's, I would have never bought the game is what I'm saying. And then because it's uh, included with it, um, that's when I decided to go ahead and grab it. Um, so I enjoyed that. I also hate to admit it. Um, I'm with Kiwi in that I have uh, jumped back into the Burning Crusade with my Blood Elf Priest, and I'm loving it. Um, I'm not nice. a not a min maxer, and I'm not a, uh, a nothing against people who are doing that. I'm not also a uh, person who plays until for end content for end game content. So I'm just enjoying it, just wandering around, doing oh, things, I'm, you know, bringing oh, back memories. Yeah, I know. I it's it's fun. It's uh, but I don't know that I'm going to stay. It's going to probably be what happened with Classic and I played for a little while and then just lost interest and um jumped out of it. So that's that's kind of where I'm at with the game. Um I'm glad they brought it back. I'm glad they're supporting it, but I do think Blizzard's days are numbered and um I just don't feel like they're going to around that much longer about 10 or 15 years probably um so i did want to jump into today's topic because it's amazing and we have one person to thank for this topic this was brought to all of us by parenthesis and so what i'm going to do is i'm just going to pass it over to parenthesis to explain um this topic that we're going to talk about today and kind of launch us off as we discuss so parenthesis take it take it from here yeah, so choices and consequences is one of the important rubrics that RPGs are graded on. To quote uh, Janet uh, Murray in her book, The Hamlet on the Holodeck, the satisfying power to take meaningful action and see the results of our decisions and choices. This is for many what RPGs are all about. But sometimes the choices we take in games have uh, uh, unpredictable and unwanted consequences. Do we think these are interesting dashes of very misillitude, or is it are they just bad telegraphing by the developers? This is the topic we, in broad strokes, are going to discuss today. Um, parenthesis, you probably have a couple on the top of your head um, of examples that kind of play this choice consequence narrative out. Do you want to share any? Sure. In, uh, for instance, uh, Fallout 3 has a quest, to, I think it's Tenpenny Tower, where there are a bunch of ghouls who say, hey, you know, we live right here uh, nearby. There's lots of space in Tenpenny Tower, but they're, uh, they're racist against us. Perhaps we could make some kind of arrangement. We really need to be in there. There's the dangers about. And, and you go, oh, I'm a diplomat. I'll, I'll find a diplomatic solution with my 100 speech. And then you come back and all the humans are dead. Because, yeah, you probably have seen that with, with the leader of the ghouls. He wasn't exactly on the up and up. And then, of course, there's uh, the Witcher one, which has a very um, interesting take on it, where, where they, they kind of, they, 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 they layer them, not layer them, but rather they kind of scatter them across the game, where it's all like you have two choices, and if, if you pick the wrong one, or, or the, yeah, the wrong one, it comes back to haunt the player later. Like in the first um, in the start of the game, you either you need to go either to the lab and safeguard the witch's secrets or fight an awesome monster. And if you fight the awesome monster, guess what? More secrets have been unearthed, and that will come back to bite Gerald in the ass later. 
those are excellent examples, especially the one that hit home with me was Tenpenny Tower, because I, I remember that very distinctly. And I, I almost kind of remember, I mean, this might be taking it to extreme, that I, I almost hated that quest because I was trying to achieve a happy ending, but I couldn't or it wouldn't. Not that it wouldn't allow me, but I didn't realize that I was screwing it up at the time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And that I think yeah. is, is, is one of the uh, defining qualities of these uh, unforeseen consequences. It's, it's something you, you literally couldn't think about. You just go along with the tropes. Again, you wanted to, to do good. You wanted to improve the world, good in the world. And you looked at your 100 speech or barter and just went away and thought everything would be as in all the other quests where you solve everything. And I yeah. was thinking about that, and I was thinking about, is choice easier for a designer than consequence um, down the road? What do you think about that? Is choice simpler at giving people multiple choices at the moment that they agonize over, or is consequence later down the road harder for the narrative? I think consequence would probably be the harder one, right? Because, I mean, there's, there's lots of games that give you sort of surface level choices in like how you complete a, a level or a mission or whatever. Um, and then those choices just kind of fizzle out and don't have consequences later. Actually, come to think of it, Guild Wars 2 does that uh, quite a few times in the in the main campaign uh, of that game. You, it makes you feel like you've got all these, you know, very impactful choices to make. You know, um, the, the choices you make in character creation inform maybe like the first 30 levels of your personal story. Um, and then after that, partially just because there's so many different branches that they, I guess, would have to write for and record voice lines for, those choices just cease mattering entirely. Um, Do you feel insulted by that as a gamer that, that you've been given these uh, choices and at the moment you think they're, they're consequential, but they're really not? Yeah, a bit. Um, I, like, it's it's weird though. Like, if if the entire Guild Wars like personal story quest line was over after level thirty, and that was like the entire story, um, like there's there's nothing after that, then I feel like I probably wouldn't feel as let down because within those first thirty levels, your choices do kind of have consequences. I mean, you can you can sort of you know, budge the narrative one way or another. Um, but it all just kind of meets up at the end. Um, you know, all, all of all of those branches just kind of converge back into one pretty linear quest line. Um, and that that feels a little cheap, you know? Yeah, I totally understand. I can think of many games that made me feel that way. Oh, um, yeah. And just choice, I do think choice is easier. I think consequence, you kind of, as a designer, you have to, you almost have, it forces the designer to think about the chain of causality that led to the result and how it's all played out through the game narrative. And is it much deeper and more complex? And uh, it just makes the designer and the storyteller um, I go through a lot more planning. I don't know if that's fair, but yeah, definitely. You have to do more writing. You know, you have to. Uh, I mean, that's sort of the the main consequence, I guess, of 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 you know coding for all those consequences. <laughs> the consequence of the consequences is you have to 
give some sort of meaningful feedback to the player on every single branch. Yeah, I mean, I mean, basically, you know, with con- consequences, the thing is that, uh, you know, once you have a choice that leads to a meaningful consequence, and basically, you know, the story branches out, you know, from then on, there's basically for the for the game designers two separate narratives that they that they have to take care of and you know that's just going to be twice as much work and then you know if if within those choices there are more even more choices that have cons- you know it it can just spiral out of control very soon and i think that's why that's why uh, you know game designers don't tend to go for the consequence that much because it just you know within within a game it it can be a lot very quickly i think open world games paradoxically kind of have this this whole choice consequence loop a little bit easier because Okay, let's say you're writing a quest that has two sort of main outcomes. You know, there, there's lots of like side players and whatever uh, in the middle of the quest. Um, but let's say you've got outcome A and outcome B. Maybe outcome A is the quest, the quest giver lives. Outcome B is the quest giver dies. Um, but then let's say there's all these side players sort of on the road there determine, uh, that, that react sort of to your choices during the quest so you know uh let's say for if you're if you're going for route b you could either uh have an assassin you know hire an assassin to kill the quest giver or something um and you know maybe that assassin lives maybe they die if uh you know and that can be dependent on uh how you gear them up what kind of information you give them you know whatever um in a linear game, maybe that's a dead end. You know, maybe maybe the assassin living or dying, you might never see them again. But in an open world game where every character is persistent and has their own schedule and like does their own thing, um, maybe you'll run into them again. You know, and they'll be their own quest giver later. Uh, maybe that's also because m- many open world games are role playing games. Do you think that also ties? Yeah, into it? I mean, it, it, that's kind of yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just I feel like it's it's easier to have uh, impactful decisions in a game that feels like a world more so than a story, if that makes sense. I actually came to this um, podcast session with like like just one thing in mind. And maybe you've seen in the chat already, but it's like choice and consequence. What I really want to see in RPGs is like when you do your when you pick your choices, there are like big consequences. Like you know, usually games have, uh, tend to be like that. You can uh, go some path, but eventually you you will uh, uh, come to a, like a crossroads, uh, whichever right. path you choose. And the ending usually is kind of the same, but different color coloring, uh, basically. Mass Effect. Yeah, but, <laughs> but but if you but if you had like different, completely different endings, or you can the path you choose determines a whole lot more. Like uh, uh, an egg, maybe a bad example, but an example of this would be. Baldur's Skate 3, the, if someone's played the early access, there's a quite a big oh, yeah. difference on if you go the evil or a good path. 
Yes, I actually really love Baldur's Gate 3 for that so far. Because, um, I mean, the, the, the sort of face of the world by the end of the early access, well, the, at least the, the world that you can access uh, during <clears throat> uh, early access, I'm saying access a lot today, damn, um, it changes very dramatically depending on who you side with. Um, I mean, the, a, a whole faction can just be wiped off the face of the earth, basically. Um, either way. Or not. I mean, or you can just sort of glide through and do your own thing and find your own way through and everybody lives, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's a game that feels like it has a whole lot of uh, potential permutations by the end. That's, that's why, that, that's why I, uh, I really enjoy playing back through the early access every few months. So as a player, do you do this goes for anybody? Does do you feel and I'm not leading with this question, I'm really curious. Do you feel that I mean it's obvious that choice can exist without consequence and it's obvious that consequence can exist without choice. It it's it can happen. Um very much so. Um but they're usually paired together. Do you feel like having that pairing is essential for a rewarding experience for a player. In other words, do you feel that making you aware of the choices you're, you're making at the time, um, knowing that these are heavy choices and that they're probably going to affect you later, but then really not finding out until maybe near the end of the game or at the end of the game, exactly how that impacts. Do you feel it's more powerful when they're paired together or do you think it doesn't matter? You're talking about sort of the time between choice and consequence? Well, I mean, you can have uh, you can have consequence without choice, and you can have choice without consequence. But right. th the idea of making you realize at the moment that you're making the decision... Oh, I see what you're saying. ...that it's yeah. impactful, and then not really finding out until much later. Right. I kind of... I mean, it depends on the style of game for me, but in a, in a big, expansive RPG... I really like unforeseen consequences, um, especially so, especially for sort of the route not taken. So in uh, one of my favorite games, Dragon's Dogma, um, there are a whole bunch of quests, like side quests involving supporting characters slash potential love interests and whatever, um, that are not time-gated, but progress-gated. They like is if they like incorporate both choices and consequences but you know a combination of both and you know mixing up so that when you play the game it's not uh uh like repetitive that you don't always know if it what is going to happen is it a choice or a consequence or is it going to bite your ass later right unforeseen consequences are fun sometimes <laughs> so when done Gingerino, well. Gingerino, i have a question for you do you feel that the moral part of the equation is essential. Do you feel like these choices and consequences having moral weight is important? Or do you think it doesn't really matter? And then if you do think the moral part of the equation is important, are you sometimes insulted by that? Because sometimes games will lead you into those moral choices. I mean, this is a very simple example, but I remember 
Zelda Twilight Print says, this is silly, but you just remember the part you keep rolling into the wall of a shop and then eventually you get kicked out of the shop and the only way to get back in is to apologize. And not that that's really a moral choice, but it's definitely the designer leading you towards what they feel is the proper way to handle it. Um, I think, uh, and this is kind of unfair to me to say, I guess, but it really depends on the situation and what the developer's trying to get across. I think that morals, when they are intertwined with choice and game, is very good because it adds weight to the choice. Otherwise, as gamers, yeah. a lot of the choice comes down to, do I want to get this loot from the end of the quest or do I want to get this loot from the end of the quest? Whereas when you tie morals into it, it starts to come into either your personal identity of what do you believe and what do you think is right or what am I building this character to be like? And then it becomes a character building aspect. And even if there's not an in-game consequence for some of those choices, uh, sometimes I think for a lot of us RPG players, even just having a character build just that we know is, in a sense, a good enough consequence on its own. I, I like having morality intertwined with choice in games because, yeah, like I said, it adds weight and gravitas to the choice that you're making. But, I mean, there's also amoral choices in games that I think are good, too, because the reality is, is that you have both types in real life, and games being art is trying to mimic real life in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, Do I, I feel insulted? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, to bring back the Ten Penny Tower thing, I, I remember just, like, you being really... I was pissed off at the end of that. Yes. I came back. I, I found out I needed a speech check of 100, and I really wanted a peaceful solution. So I actually reloaded a save, you know, scum saving, whatever. I came back with my 100 speech check later, got the ending I wanted, left, came back again to come visit, and found out the, you know, the ghouls had killed everyone. And I was so pissed. I was like, I worked so hard to get that ending. But in the end, looking back on it, I kind of really like the way the writers did that because the reality is, is those two factions were not going to get along narratively anyways. And just because I worked hard and made the choice to try to have a peaceful solution doesn't mean it had to stay. Yeah. So I'm not really... That's, effect. <clears throat> That's reactivity. Mm -hmm. Now... I forget that that whole quest line. Once you resolve it one way or the other, is there like any kind of follow up there? Like, if the ghouls take over Ten Penny Tower, do they like offer new, you know, ghoul related like ghoul rights quests or anything like that? I don't think there's no. radi as many radiant quests in Fallout Three. Yeah, I don't think there is. No. Yeah, I, I, it's funny that you mentioned going back to your, your save because I think that that's something a lot of gamers do, especially in these situations where you're almost preparing in a game that you know has a lot of choices. You're almost preparing yourself as a gamer by spamming your saves. Everybody does it. I mean, and it allows you, not necessarily that you you're unhappy with the decision you made and the consequence it has down the road in the narrative, but that you want to re-experience the other narrative. Right. You kind of want yeah, to go I don't want to have to play yeah. 60 hours of a game to find out what this one branch in a side quest did. That does get annoying. <laughs> now, there was a game that did this. I don't know if you guys have played it. I'm going to tell you how it worked and then see if anybody you remember this game. It is unbelievable, and it is unbelievable that so few people have played this game. It, it is a game that just blows my mind. So there's a game where there's a time travel mechanic in the game. 
it allows you to, instead of spam saving and doing that, it allows you in the game to reconsider the choices you've made um, through this time travel mechanic. And the game is never clear about how those changes will spiral out and affect other things. So you can reverse and go back and make a different decision. But even when you do that, it's not as black and white as, oh, well, if I choose this, I go this path and this will happen. You really don't know. You can go back and make a change, but you really, in so many situations in that game, you have no idea how it's going to spiral out if you go back and, and make that change. Anybody know what game I'm talking about? Life is Strange. Yes. Oh, okay. I never played it. What? What? I don't know. It didn't look appealing to me, but it <laughs> sounds cool. As far as, as far as the mechanic goes, I understand the, the teen aspect and the, the story may not be that engaging, but as far as development goes and mechanics, it to me is is phenomenal. There's a couple of other games like Undertale is a game I remember that actually remembers every single thing you've done, even when you play on a different difficulty level and then it affects other difficulty levels you played. It's bizarre how they do that. Um, there's a bunch of other games I can think of and in small effects, but what offends me though as a player, and, and this is just going to an extreme of course, is that is that I hate when they are are shallow. Like there's so many good examples out there. If you're gonna go the route of choice and consequence and have narrative splits, don't make the s decisions silly and stupid and on the surface. And I, I know I'll catch crap for this email aboutcast at gmail.com. Um, but simple things like um a Morrowind, a game I love, right? Uh, by making choices in that game, aligning with different faction cuts off other parts of the game to you that you can't play. There are other games like, well, the Twilight Princess example I mentioned, the um, Fire Emblem. If you, I'm trying to remember, if you recruit a certain character in a, a later chapter, you may not be able to get other parts of the game that's right. great. That's yeah. great. And that's yeah. cool. But, but it's on a certain, I still feel like that surface level compared to something like Life is Strange or compared to even some of the RPGs that we've been talking about. Yeah. New you, Vegas. You, New Vegas. Great example. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're going to go that path, go that path and do it right or don't go it at all would be what mm -hmm. I would say. Uh, going back to the, uh, morals in uh, choice and consequence i i'm more of a, on the side that um game de developers should not probably try to like establish what the right moral thing is to do like uh disco illusion most of the time managed to do it so it's uh morally i don't know ambiguous gray uh not not all choices are uh, wrong or uh, not or in, not any choices right but uh, even then uh, the studio is kind of uh, red and there's some kind of political coloring in the game but I'd say it's, it's in that aspect it's, it's a well-made game that uh, there's a sort of ways you can express yourself and the game lets you do that and it, the game usually doesn't try to tell you what's right or wrong you can go anyways. I think that's perfect design. I mean, uh, I don't 
want to be preached to. Nobody does. And you got to, as a designer, you limit your audience. I mean, you really do. You, you really tick people off. I mean, regardless of how you fall morally, you're, you're always going to upset somebody if they feel railroaded into a certain moral decision. I think uh, that you, you have to design it in a way where those decisions, regardless of, of, of the outcome, either feel real. That's maybe more important than do they feel like they were the right choice. Yeah. You know? I feel like Baldur's Gate 3, what I played in early access, it's full of choice and consequences. Like, you know, some games have it, some games have it like uh, seldom, but Baldur's Gate 3 is like all the time. You make it like, oh yeah, every time you are interacting with NPCs, you're making a whole lot of choices and some of them will bite you back later or, or will benefit you. And you, you, on the first runs, you'll never know what it does, and you'll, you'll just have to go with it, and you'll just have to accept that things will be as they are. And it's so, yeah. like, in a way, the game is really scary. Yeah, it's intimidating, because, like, you don't, you don't know... There, there's, this, there's this big uncertainty hanging over all of it. You know, you don't know what exactly the consequences of your choices are, are going to be, and I kind of like that a yeah. lot. Like, uh... The game will offer you in the first act many, many ways to get rid of the uh, worm inside your brain. And yeah. uh, some of those choices might lead to uh, some very negative effects if you try to pursue them. But uh, oh, I, I know what you're talking about. Anymore. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I did that the first time, too. <laughs> so nice. do you feel do you feel that um, and I was thinking about this because uh, the weight of and and the impact of, for a gamer and the and and how it lands with you do you feel like the design choice of going with a choice consequence uh narrative splitting um do you feel like that can be can work against the game and i'm going to use an example and i know people may disagree with this one as well um but uh there there was the game. Oh, crud. I forgot the name of the game. Um, you play the robot. Help me out, people. You're the robot oh, people. That defines a lot of games so far. Oh, Detroit becomes Becoming, human. Yes. Thank Detroit. You. Yeah. How did I? <laughs> so it's another. Right. It's, it's Detroit become human. And one of the things they advertised, and I don't, I haven't looked like to see if there's a graphic split of this or anything, but one of the big things that they purported was that there are literally over 100 different endings. And one of the criticisms they got, um, I don't know that it's completely fair, but one of the criticisms they got is the reason there are 100 endings is because they're not that distinct. The yeah. one from the other is not particularly that different. Would you prefer a game to have a hundred endings or would you prefer it to have these consequences that are maybe three or four and they're, they're heavier? Yeah. You, you ask the game that can it work against the game? Yes, it can. Uh, but I think it's all about execution, what they did and that game that you were talking about. I think it's just lazy execution. And uh, it's, it's like saying that Pillars of Eternity 2 has like 50 or more different endings if, if you just uh, make different combinations of the different choices that you have in the ending uh, script. Right. Yeah, it's, 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 
like several many endings, you know. And uh, New Vegas actually did that too, didn't it? Where it was like it was sort of like a where are they now kind of <laughs> kind of ending, um, which I kind of like. Uh, it definitely definitely gives a, an ending more texture and leaves a lot less up to interpretation. Um, it, it's it's different though being told about the consequences of your choices rather than you know seeing them. So for people who are listening, does anybody ha- want to throw out some memories, some some games? These don't necessarily have to be the perfect example of what Parenthesis was talking about, but um, games where you feel like maybe choices you made um, a few hours later come back to haunt you or, or create a different ending that, f- that has a lot of implications you didn't realize. Are there any other games that we haven't mentioned that pop in your head that people might play if they want that experience? Well, I'd say, you know, in Pillars, Pillars 1 and 2, at, at least Pillars 1, uh, you'll, if you piss off some people, uh, you, they will, uh, they might assemble some kind of force against you. Like this ha- has happened many times for me. And usually I'm not, the, I'm not the nice guy in the game, so I get many NPCs pissed. Leakwalker. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, for souls especially. Oh, uh, you you. I actually once role played as Blake Walker in Pillars One, and it's kind of fun. Yeah, I just started a character in that, and I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna enjoy it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is kind of a fun to just being extremely ruthless in yeah. in an RPG. Did um, you ever do a genocide run out of an Obsidian game where you just go and kill everybody? <laughs> no, I haven't. But I've seen. I think uh, many a true nerd did a did a it Fallout is, New Vegas killer. Really rewarding. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, that makes me sound really bad. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> it's. I, I think it's, it's really repetitive that you just go and kill and it's it's all <laughs> combat but you know that could be improved like of course obsidian for example is known for this that they allow you to do the air you know just kill everybody and win the game but if there was actually some story elements that come up with you when you start doing this like some evil faction comes into play and says yeah. okay we'll be following you maybe you want Want to hang out? We are a bunch of super Nazis. Would you like to join us? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, like you know, join the Marauders in. Uh, there you go. In the uh, outer worlds, like yeah, in, in, in inhale adrenaline time enough, and <laughs> that would be interesting. Uh, 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 I, uh, I killed everybody in that first planet, and then I got to the second stage of the game, and. Nobody acknowledged, like, oh, are you that, you're that guy that killed everybody? Cool. <laughs> you want to buy a drink? I got many wares for which you uh, can peruse. You know, it was just kind of, like, unimpactful. That, that would have been cool if mm. I could join the Marauders. I mean, I guess, you know, if you play some of the DLCs, you'll learn reasons why maybe you can't, but still. I mean, a, a game like that needs, like, sort of a reputation system, kind of like New Vegas or, or even Pillars. I mean, Pillars has something like that. Um, it's a little more rudimentary, I think, than than New Vegas. But like, yeah. you know, certain factions will yeah. view you certain ways if you kill certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, it tends to be that, a lot of consequence for choices Vegas, in games. Vegas, that reputation is really, really good because you. It wasn't just a slider between 
good, bad, but right. it was like it had two sliders, like how much they like you and how much they don't like you, and so it's right. complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that a lot. Um, and actually, another game that does that pretty well, um, I've talked about it before on the pod, I think, called uh, The Age of Decadence. Um, yes, what do you guys talk about it. Yeah, I thought so. Um, it's just a very, very crunchy uh, RPG with like tons of different factions, and the, the actions you take in-game can sort of have these, I mean, unforeseen echoing consequences uh regarding one faction or another or sometimes two or three and you know you can dedicate yourself to to a faction and you know certain other ones will like you certain other ones will hate you for it um and it's just it's very i don't know i have i feel not quite qualified to talk about it yet because i haven't finished it (laughs) but so far, the, the, the relationship between choice and consequence in this game, it's kind of what the whole game is about. Um, and it's, it's, very, uh, it's very satisfying, I think. I'll have to check that one out for sure. I, it's funny because as I'm going through my head right now and thinking about these games that are popping up where they do have these lingering um, few hours later, something comes back to haunt you or things you know go off the rails based on a choice you make. Um, and just about every single one I'm thinking of is an RPG. I think that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Like Knights of the Old Republic, Mass Effect, Dragon Age Origins, Divinity Original Sin. Yeah, no one's thinking of Defiant. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the genre, What about that one? That's oh, all, that's, that's true. Oh, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it's a classic. Turn it one. off. Yeah, that's a good one. Wait, what was I'm trying to remember? I don't want to spoil it, I guess. Well, do you turn? Uh, never mind. I don't want to spoil that one, but uh, that's a good one. I <laughs> like that one. Um, what oh, about wow. like um, Until Dawn? Has anybody played that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one's kind of cool. Although the, the, the relationship between choice and consequence, there's a little more shaky like it's it's hard to well actually i mean well no not really not necessarily it, it's just kind of hard to tell what the yeah. right thing to do is which is which is seemingly nice. tiny decisions in that game and then all of a sudden pff, someone dies and you're like right. well i guess i won't turn it that far next time oh, well. yeah, yeah, yeah 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 you almost feel robbed in those type of games and there's several type of games like that out there where it's it's essentially and i don't even know if i mean there's it's essentially they catch criticism because they're they feel like you're just going from cutscene to cutscene to cutscene, and the decisions you make there there might be like three different cutscenes from that decision, but it feels empty in some cases because you're like you said you're not really influencing anything you're just making a choice and finding out oh crap i shouldn't have left the knife in the kitchen or something like that <laughs> i feel that's because they are essentially gussied up computerized versions of game books that's, that's oh, like choose your own adventures. Yeah, that's deep yeah, in the DNA. I mean, uh, Man of Medan, uh, Until Daylight, um, Detroit Become Human, Fahrenheit, and uh, Heavy Rain. They they are essentially gossip up game books, just put in a computer. They, that's what people. Uh, I guess that's the also where the idea from interactive movie comes from. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, big time. Yeah, and it really and it really is. I think that argument has weight, and I feel like. Uh, a true-blooded RPG is based in the foundation on choice. I mean, from creating your character to choosing the beginning of your path, theoretically, sometimes that is, you know, it, 
we think it's important, but it isn't. But, you know, choosing the faction you go with, choosing the the race class that you go with, you know, are these going to affect interactions in the game? And sometimes they're empty. We talked about in Skyrim, the whole craziness of, you know, uh, the, the race wars and the, the how people would, would feel about you if you chose a particular path. And those are kind of empty, but I feel like they're in they're I feel like they're bred into it's woven deeply into the RPG theme. I just don't think you can get away from having a game that gives you complicated choices that maybe drastically affect the game later. And I think it's important because if we're talking about avowed, this is a vowed cast. Um, so if we want to jump into that, other emails come in every week about that, by the way. But if we want to talk <laughs> about that, um, then if we're thinking ahead, you know, how, and we, we know pillars, we know pillars is full of choices. It's, it's this narrative branch. It's, it's an amazing story. Um, do you feel that you want avowed being that it is a different type of game? It's it's not isometric. It's not. It, we assume that it's not going to be extremely. Well, I don't know that we assume that because we don't know based on Obsidian's choices with their recent products. I mean, it may still continue to be heavily narrative, but do you want them to continue on the same path they did with pillars? Do you want to see a change in the way they craft uh, choice and consequence in that game. Anybody want to jump in on that one? Yeah. Um, I think this it might be some kind of balance between uh, when you think about uh, do you want it to be more story driven or uh, you know open world choice and consequence because there's a lot of things that I would have wanted to be added uh, in pillars games like. Uh, different kinds of endings, what you could do, what are the effects, uh, like choices in POE to uh, one to two, but for, for story reasons, they were, were never implemented. But, you know, when we were making a game like About, this is, I suppose, open world-ish, uh, uh, you might want much more choice and consequence there and less story, uh, like, driven uh, gameplay, but I actually like them both, but, it, but yeah, it, as always, it comes down to execution. Like, I do hope for some like story-driven things, but I also hope that you could have vastly, vastly different endings. Yeah. I, um, I really hope that they sort of bring it back to... What I really want from Avowed, honestly, <laughs> is mostly just fantasy New Vegas. Yeah. Woodika <laughs> Kang rise up. <laughs> I will put you down. <laughs> no. Um I I mostly just want like I said Fantasy New Vegas. I want that I want that like crazy convoluted branching uh quest design that they had there where it's like you know your your solutions are based on who you are as a character and what skills you have and you know there's like seven seven different ways to complete every quest. Um, yeah, that I, I mean, just want to sort of the addictive aspect to that game for me, you know, to to New Vegas. That is. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to say that it's gonna be way harder than you know with an isometric RPG because you know it's cinematic. Everything has to be uh, yeah. animated, 
animated and voiced over and you know camera angles and you know director and stuff you know it's it's a whole different kind of beast than you know just an isometric you know uh text-based thing so uh, you know like for for, yeah like for every choice you make you probably have to work three times uh as much as you know in an isometric rpg so i wouldn't be you know i like obsidian and and i believe that they're going to do their best but i wouldn't be too too hopeful in this front yeah what i mean if they what if they uh added artificial intelligence to the mix and, <laughs> i know it sounds funny but seriously at? like seriously look, like what if you like were playing AD a game Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, like GPT-3 uh, or whatever? You know, I I really hope that they won't. Like, if you go, go and play Outer Worlds, sometimes it feels really repetitive, and I hope they have uh, different guidelines or different people making about just my personal opinion. Yeah. I. So has anybody uh, played with um, AI Dungeon? Nope. Never, never heard of it. Really? Okay, no. so AI Dungeon is a neural net based uh, text based RPG engine kind of thing. It's not it's not really like, okay, I guess it doesn't. Well, yeah, I guess I guess that I guess that's what you call it. It's, it's a text based RPG engine that basically uh, dials out to this GPT-2 neural network um, mind thing. <laughs> And takes whatever you type it and uh, returns responses based on, you know, deep learning stuff. I, I'm butchering the description of this, but basically it's an entirely free form text based RPG that you can type anything into and it will give you some sort of actually usually pretty meaningful feedback. It can be kind of nonsense dream logic sometimes because neural networks are only so good right now um but i've also um watched some videos uh, regarding the the sort of follow-up to gpt2 gpt3 and some of the responses that gpt3 gives are kind of creepy in how human-like they are i mean it tells jokes off the cuff See, I love that. And the reason I love that, I love that because I feel like, and I know this is crazy to say right now, but I do think in the future this will happen to maybe have that uh, an open world game that has a hive mind, that has a collective artificial intelligent hive mind that learns. So, for example, if you live in Australia and you're playing, let's say Skyrim, for example, and you kill the dragon this way and then 50 other people kill the dragon the same way but I don't start playing the game until six months later, but the game allows the creature within the game to learn that they keep dying this way and then they adjust their behavior and they adjust maybe how they create their layer or they adjust things and the game actually changes. Now there was, EverQuest was talking about doing this. Sony was talking about doing this on a very small level where- Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking Ever- for an MMO, that'd be insane. Yeah, EverQuest next, like if you chop down a tree and you, you know, it's going to be chopped down for the rest of the game and somebody else has spoiled your experience maybe based on that. I mean, that's a very simplified version of what I'm saying, but I would love for somebody to find a way to do that because then 
I don't know. I don't think it would spoil the narrative. You could still have a story and a narrative, and but it would be interesting because it would bring people back into the game and into the fold because they'd be like, wait a second, this is a different game than I played six yeah. months ago. A lot, a lot of like, a lot of logical stuff in a lot of game development. Like for so many generations, it was visual. How do we make games look more and more real? We're getting to the point now where either people aren't caring as much, or they're hitting a pretty not a ceiling, but they're hitting a pretty happy place with visual effects on a game. I think the next step is like, how do we make the game feel real? You know, and I think this is like early technology of things that we might see come into games as the technology gets more streamlined down the road. Yeah, I um, like this. I think the this AI technology is just very early stage that it still doesn't give quite good results. It, you know, uh, I have a tendency not to like, uh, you know, random generated games. Like I want there to be, you know, that someone has put their like a thought to it, and. When you have this, you know, learning AI, the and what the you know response that it gives is only as good as the input that is put into it. And if there's you know just random people uh, influencing that info, the output might be very random also. But what if there's somebody behind the scenes who takes that data and then says, "Wait, everybody's killing this dragon this way." Um, and then informs the the beast's decision by slightly changing the way it lives or the way it defends itself. I mean, that's just patching. <laughs> yeah, that's, okay. that's, yeah. That's, 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 yeah, that's just that's just continuous development. Um, Good point. I, Good point. I, I really this I watched this um, what it's like to be a computer uh, interview with GPT three video on um, this guy Eric Elliott's channel on YouTube months and months ago and it's sort of lived in my head rent free ever since um, mm. I would highly encourage anyone who's listening to this to go go and watch that video if you haven't because thinking about the gaming um, applications for this kind of technology is kind of mind-blowing imagine sort of imagine a D&D game with an AI DM that can react to your decisions in real time and like reposition uh enemies and you know generate new dialogue for enemies based on your input uh generate you know new decision making patterns that weren't originally in the game it's gonna happen based on your input mm, can when you were talking about learning ais is it that what I've understood is that they mostly imitate behavior that they learned and they necessarily don't so much uh, like come up with new things. It might it, be that they do, but uh, I'm kind of reserved. I get that 100% because up, up until very, very recently, that is sort of how AI worked. Um, I think as... As the complexity of AI increases, it starts to sort of become more and more human-like. I mean, it takes a ton of resources to produce an AI that is remotely, you know, recognizable as like, okay, this might be, you know, a person. Yeah. Also, the um, big problem with AI is you really can't debug it. Yeah, yeah. Because once you get complex enough, it, it just kind of... It's basically a black it's its own thing. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, you have, I mean, back in the 90s, you had, and this was a long time ago. I mean, we're talking technology ages ago. You had Deep Blue, and Deep Blue was the IBM computer that learned on its own. It was not told. It was just told the basics of how to play chess. It was not told strategies. And it continued to play, play itself and play others. And it was the first computer to beat, to defeat the world chess champion in tournament conditions. And that was not because somebody was behind the scenes. Right. I mean, you're really at that point, you're you're sort of recreating like a natural selection process uh, in terms of AI behavior. You know, you're you're creating this machine that is just capable of making so many branching decisions and also capable of analyzing its own decisions and iterating on those decisions. But isn't to... that what we do every day? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wasn't That's why that, they're so human. That around. AI, the one that made made the game really, really boring, and the <laughs> pros started emulating I, it. Like it was really like safe way of playing, and there was a new AI that beat it and played more like creatively. Yes, yes, yeah, you're correct. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's been many iterations, but just back to where we were. I don't want AI to take us too. Right. Yeah. Though. Sorry. No, it's me. I, the point I was making was that I feel like, especially like we're looking at a product that's years away, avowed, like they need to do something different. I don't, nobody wants the same thing. There are so many uh, Skyrim uh, simulators that are coming out. There's there's just, we want something different. This is a company that is a, can give us something different. Um, and I think the unexpected consequences could be one of those things. And I, for parenthesis yet, I was wondering what your thought is, you know, parenthesis, did you feel that pillars one and two did a good job of, of giving us choice and impactful consequences down the road? And if not, or if it did, how do you see this being mirrored and avowed? I think Pillars 1 did an, uh, a really good job. Uh, I, I sat here and wrote down a list of, of quests and key- keywords that could help me remember. And there are quite a few, but I actually can't remember anyone from uh, Pillars 2. Uh, I might just be forgetting them, though they might actually not be there. I actually think that for about, I'd like to see some um, some more firmer uh, connection between action and, or, or choice and consequence, so that when the consequence happens, you're 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 told well directly or indirectly this was because you did a b and c what did you expect because a game we haven't mentioned which we should have mentioned alpha protocol was full of choices Mm. and consequences and um and i think that perhaps the perhaps the developers did the job too well because we were forgetting about it they it they they weaved them in and they didn't explain to the player well the, this embassy isn't guarded because you did this and that, uh, or it is guarded because you did this and that. So the way that the Witcher did, which, which it kind of surprised you and, and kind of t- broke the fourth wall, turned to you and said, hey, this is because you did this. Uh, <laughs> perhaps we should move the needle more in that direction. I don't I don't think we should do the same thing that the Witcher 1 did, but, but just, you know, hints, uh, well, this happened because you did this. And... Um, I mean, I mean, making games like Alpha Protocol in mass is is unsustainable. It nearly broke the developers who made it, and and nearly broke the game itself. Yeah, but, but some more 
backwards telegraphing so you understood why we ended up in, in this situation and, and, and make it clear that this was your choice. You made this happen. Ooh, backwards telegraphing. That's a write that down, somebody. That's that's a good I love uh, it. I love it. That's a good phrase. next shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though, and I think that I know that <clears throat> Obsidian is known for taking risks. I mean, to a certain extent in a in a in a genre and in a development cycle where people are scared to take risks. You know, they want they they need to make the money and they need to make their money back. Um, which is why so many of them seem into mainstream. But then you have Obsidian and then um, the studio, the uh, Divinity, I feel like they take chances. It sounds like I haven't played Baldur's Gate 3, but it sounds like they're also kind of... Um, what's your name? I forgot. Baldur's Gate. Larry. I have a take on this also. Okay. Uh, BOE1, it's a very linear game. And so you, uh, you can't have much choice and consequence in a macro scale. So you, you have to go, like Parenthesis was talking about, to the quest scale, where you can make quests in many different ways. And it, it, a lot, it reflects a lot like what the older Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale games were. And perhaps it's okay that BOE1 was like it was because it kind of launched the renaissance of the isometric games again. Uh, and BOE2, while it, it appears a lot more branched, it's, it's still a very linear game, which has some fallout uh, New Vegas-ish uh, elements uh, when it comes to factions. Uh, but yeah, what I, what I would have wanted is that the ending has some more meaning because now the you know the ending in uh, obsidian games tends to be mass effect yeah you like, know uh, in poe one if you if you choose an ending to side with one of the deities uh, it really doesn't show in any way in poe2 right yeah that kind of disappointed me a little bit um although it it almost sort of makes sense because like you're in a completely different part of the world. Um, but it's still, you know, some, some of those, yeah. some, some is, of those endings should have far ranging consequences. Yeah, this is exactly what I was talking about earlier about the choice and consequence versus uh, story driven game. Like the story is kind of nailed down on pillars and you know what what happens in poe one what happens in poe two especially like if if it didn't happen the story in a would be really different uh of course uh if it uh like is after what poe two events i i've always sort of thought of rpgs in sort of two different uh i guess sort of subgenres there's at least in terms of like narrative structure there's like the episodic rpg which is something like um pillars one like you were saying where individual quests might have several different ways to complete them um but they don't really necessarily affect one another at least like side quest wise you know they don't really tie into the main uh storyline at least not commonly 
Um, and you think of that kind of like an episodic TV show, right? Something like, uh, oh, I don't know, Law and Order. The maybe? Mandalorian. The, the Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah, I haven't actually watched it, but that's that's sort of what I've heard. Um, and then you have these more sort of free flowing uh, experiences like Age of Decadence, which is, you know, a, a, it has its side quests. You know, it, it's got little uh, episodes um, running alongside the sort of main plot. But but the lines are so blurred that it's kind of hard to tell where the side quests sit versus where the main quest sits. Um, and everything is very flowy and uh, integrated into um yeah, every quest is sort of integrated into every other quest in a way that feels a little bit more like a lived experience than an episode of a TV show. Um, and I, honestly, I'm not 100% sold on which one of those I like better because <laughs> a lot of my favorite RPGs and fa favorite video games in general follow that episodic format. Um, it, I mean, it is fun. Yeah, it is. There's a reason why episodic TV works. You know, it's entertaining. Um, it's uh, it's definitely less commitment. Yeah, totally. It's more of a pick up and play kind of thing. It's 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 yeah. e easier to go. Okay, where did I leave off? Oh, okay, I'm just doing this thing. Let's let's go do it. Right now, I'm thankful for that. When I only have like half an hour every other day to play Skyrim. Oh, that's the I'm ultimate just, example. This yeah, is, I'm just this focused is on this one quest I'm on, and then that's it. it. I like that, and it's fun, and I think that video games can do that well. I think this yes. is where we have to reject modernity and embrace tradition. <laughs> Become monkey. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, which one would be modernity and which one would be tradition? Episodic is modern. I, maybe it yeah. isn't really, but I always go with what I like. Yeah, I feel that. It, it does, you know, it does sort of feel a lot more commercial, I guess, to have that sort of episodic feel to a game, because it is very pick-up and playable, um, which isn't, like I said, not a bad thing, just a, a different style. I think it's just a natural consequence, too, of developing games is, like, you kind of have to just make these quests in blocks, I, I imagine, as a developer. Yeah. And it's not always easy to just tie it together. And you want the gamer to focus on what they're doing right there and then. A lot of these RPGs, I'm sure they're trying to mimic, you know, tabletop RPG style where, you know, the, the choices are a lot more dynamic. But I just don't think we're at a technological place where you can do that yet. You know? Well, not until GPT-3 takes off in, uh, <laughs> in game dev. <laughs> One day. I'm sure, actually, one day no. we'll probably have AIs that handle choice and consequence a lot more than we're currently seeing. You know, I think maybe we don't always have to have this machine intelligence, but, you know, what Baldur's Gate 3 does is sometimes the dice will decide for you. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. imagine if, you know, some NPC's disposition towards you is sometimes... Uh, dice roll like you do something and usually it's like it's like something happens because you do something but what if there was a chance that something else happens and then you just can't help it it's like yeah uh, not so you know pen and paper i mean when Baldur's gate 3 comes out comes out i'm definitely playing it in like iron man mode just to preserve that 
that tabletop kind of feel because on the tabletop you can't just go oh uh quick load <laughs> that'd be interesting i mean when we i was just gonna say too like even if they have ais come in to start handling a lot of those um making uh, the game feel more dynamic in those micro situations i feel like if that was implemented on more of a macro scale we'd lose a lot of what makes a game fun, which is like the human element of the storytelling. It's like oh, if definitely. you play a game right now, like there are humans writing those stories, very creative people writing those stories, and we love them. Yeah, I mean, that's what there makes is. them interesting. They're the product of someone else's mind. You, you know, there are these uh, these AI, AIs nowadays that, you know, write musical pieces, and apparently you, you can't tell the difference between a musical piece that is written by an AI and a musical piece that is written by, you know, a human being. But in an argument to that would be that um, the formula that is used, that is built into the AI, is basically a formula that was developed by human beings, right? So the, the, it kind of cycles back onto itself and that um, it didn't just learn out of the blue, you know, it was fed information. And we know that like pop songs, for example, are they all follow pretty much the same development and the, the same, you know, everything happens at the same point in the song. And so in fairness, I think we feed in a little bit. And I think with stories that would work too. I think, you know, it, I don't know that you're going to have, at least in our lifetime, the computer that can think out by itself completely and uh, come up with creative solutions completely by itself without some sort of learning from a human being. Well, I mean, that's yeah. the, that's the thing about, about neural networks is you don't teach them information. You teach them how to learn and then you hand them information and they, and they study. Right. Yeah. But Which would you want to play a game where the development team was just a maintenance crew for an AI program? <laughs> or would you want a development team that creates stories and gets together to like come up with twists and challenge each other? You know, like, I don't know, even if they, an AI created a story that was indistinguishable from a story written by a human, I just feel I like there's something about that yeah. process. That's yeah. You, you just still can't know that, that. It, it's just missing something. And it's like, you know, it's, it's the soul, like, I mean, not literal soul, but, you know, the, you can feel when a game or a movie lacks it. Yeah, right. I agree. I agree 100%. Um, I, and I wanted to, wanted to go back and to our original premise and that, you know, this idea of choice and consequence and um, wanted to kind of uh, back around and just say to the listeners that I feel that Obsidian is a good it's good hands, the best hands right now to place Avowed in as far as choice and consequence. Because if you think about many of the games that employ this, even if some of the older ones maybe were seem superficial at this point, they they weren't when they came out. You know, of course, the Pillars series, um, most recently the Outer Worlds, Fallout New Vegas, you have Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, you have um, Alpha Protocol, Tyranny. Um, I mean, think of all the games, Planescape Torment, back when, you know, they were the other studio. I mean, these guys, I think, are really good at choice and making these choices impactful. That's just my opinion. I feel like Avowed's in good hands. I feel like they're going to do something innovative, but I also feel like they're going to be someone that we can rely on and that it's not going to be vanilla. At least that's my hope. 
Um, I did want to end the podcast uh, with some questions. We got quite a few since our last podcast. Thank you to everyone who's sending in these questions. Um, so we have, I picked, I have picked out three questions from the many questions that were sent in. I want to run down those real quickly and get your, your responses to them. The first one is from Marius Tan. Marius says, um, do you think about will be playable on last gen consoles or will it only be playable on next gen and will it ever come out for PlayStation five? Anybody want to take that one? I think it'll, it says on the avowed website. For Windows and Xbox, um, and yeah, Obsidian is owned by Microsoft now. I'm pretty sure they're sticking with the Xbox PC exclusives, so I don't think it's going to come on PS5. I don't think it's going to come out on Xbox One either. It seems exclusively Windows 10 PC and the Series XS. I think that it's pretty obvious that it's not going to come out on the PlayStation 5, and I think that it's it's several years away. Like we're probably not even going to see this game for a while, so um, it's not going to come back out. But it'll definitely be on PC and Windows for sure. Um, we have another question from Henry Steger. I think I got that right. Um, this is interesting. Will Avowed be true open world experience like Skyrim, or will it potentially end with the conclusion of the story or narrative that drives the game? I believe the second option. Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I think that uh, Obsidian's MO is to go towards uh, a final conclusion that, that ends the story and then give us some slides. Uh, it, it's more of a, of, a, of a Bethesda thing to leave big open I world mean, RPGs. I mean, I like the ending slides, but sometimes I would like to be there to see the world after the ending. Like, of yeah. course, I can understand why, why in isometric games you would not want to do that, but uh, in games like Avowed or Skyrim, uh, uh, it would be interesting to see what's up, what's up after you save the world or such shit. It would be cool to see Obsidian take a shot at that. Not that they haven't not done it completely, of course, but yeah, you're right. Their MO is... Definitely, you have reached the conclusion of the game. Would you like to reload an old save if you want to keep checking things out? Which is okay, yeah. too. You know, if that's what they're strong at and that's what they decide, then all power to it. But, it, yeah, it'd be interesting to see them well, try that. I, I understand that, it, you know, it is easier. It is easier just to make the ending slides because then you have to, don't have to make a ton of new dialogue and other stuff into the game. And I think that we saw a recent example with Cyberpunk. I mean, of how they handled it, the way, and this is not giving anything away. It's just that uh, there is a certain point in the game, near the end of the game, where you basically lock into a you lock into an an event that um, uh, they tell you walk through the door. This is going to be it. You can't continue playing after this is going to end yeah this is the like no point of no return kind yes. of thing yeah, so yeah. if you want to keep playing you have to have that save loaded again before that but oh, you can God. always go back and just keep playing, right yeah which i you know what i'm kind of fine with that format because if you have it truly open at the end then you lose uh, narrative epilogues and i i kind of like obsidian's writing and i would actually like to see i don't know what the story is about of obviously but 
I like their epilogues. I like seeing what happens to characters afterwards based on the choices I made. Like in Pillars, when you make these choices with your characters, what happens to them in the long term? You know, you lose that if it's just truly open world. Anyways, I I don't like games that um, dump you into the game world after the, the credits because at that point I've usually hoovered up all the quests and done them, and what I'm left with is is perhaps some minor epilogue changes. But then it's sort of the there's no proper ending. It's just you exiting to the menu and then quitting the game, and that just seems kind of pat. Yeah. There's something about a finality to the credits roll and the game is over that is just sort of satisfying, like turning the last page of a book, you know? Sorry, but I completely disagree with both of you. I hate that. I hated what happened in Cyberpunk. I felt like it was like, what? You're kidding me. Like, I have like 18 different side quests. You mean I I have to go, wait, what? And it's like, you're telling me I can't resolve these other parts of the story just because you want me to finish here? Um this well, given the end of this Cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. But I mean, I'm, but my, that's my point is that there are, you know, I think I respect what you're both saying, all of you are saying, actually, that you like that finite uh, ending and you like the epilogue. I don't. Um, and I think there are other players like me. So I would like to have the option. I think that an open world, by definition, is a place that you immerse yourself in and you start to savor. And if, if you find that world therapeutic or if you find that world in some way cathartic or that it it's a place that you can go to to get away, um, you don't want that to end. So question was from Parlor, yeah. Kit- Parlor Kitty with the question. And the question is, um, would you ever buy a board game designed by Obsidian? I would love to play Outer Worlds board game. Yeah, I would 100% try it. Definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. There is a card game that they developed, I think. I haven't played it, though. Lots of the Eastern Reach, I think. Yeah, that's the one. I I don't know how it fares in terms of, you know, card games, like if if it's good or if it's bad. Um, Where do I find this? How come I haven't heard of this? Where is it at? Well, if Um, you... you... Go ahead. Well, I know it's in on um, on the tabletop simulator, um, but but physically, I I couldn't tell you. I think um, the physical ones are all done. I think you have to do it on uh, I got the you. Uh, tabletop simulator. I'm not 100 percent sure. Actually, I'll, I, I'll look it up right now and I'll put it up in the chat because I'd be interested in playing this. Actually, I just actually haven't gotten around to it. And I think the one on Tabletop Simulator is uh, paid for DLC, so there's no gray area if, if you get it there. Oh, okay. And I think I would, and my answer to Parlor Kitty would be I would play. And I think Obsidian is really good at, like we said, narrative. And if it's there's lots of new board games coming out that are narrative-driven, I think it would be an area where they could expand if they found out Avowed was really popular and this world was something people wanted to exist in again, they could translate it somehow to a board game. So I think that's a fair question, especially if you like the way they tell stories and you want to continue doing that in another format. So those are our questions for this week. Thank you to everybody for for coming in and joining me today and participating. And um, we will be back uh soon with another episode usually we're trying to do one a month over the summer until obsidian gives us more information that we can chew on 
Uh, thank you for listening. And if you, uh, anybody want to give a shout out so people can find you online anywhere? Um, this is me, Gingerino. If you're into the lore of Pillars of Eternity, or you're wanting to get a head start on the lore for Avowed because they share the same world, I have a podcast up called The World of Aora. I have one more episode coming out in June, and then I'm taking a break for the summer until uh, about September. But yeah, so if you're interested in the lore, there's that podcast. Otherwise, you can follow me on Twitter at World of Aora. You followed me into the abyss? Have you so little respect for the scant years your fragile form affords you? I know not why the short-sightedness of Kith continues to surprise me. Leave while the option remains, lest you be bound here as I am. Thank you for listening to Avowedcast. Though we recognize the game is many years away from release, we will continue to post at least one episode each month, continuing to engage and grow the fan base through discussion and educated speculation. We've been doing this podcast for a little over a year now. We wanted to acknowledge the exponential growth in our audience. Thank you. We, we continue to receive so many emails each month, and we just wanted to take a moment to really just genuinely say thank you for all your enthusiasm and your support and your engagement. The questions you send, the comments you send, we read all of them. Um, we're going to leave you today, as we always leave you at the end of every podcast, with the inspirational soundtrack to Aora. So sit back, listen, and enjoy.